yourself been so lonesome chasing that morning chill oh little red bird open your mouth and say been so lonesome i just about flown away so long now i've been out in the rain and snow but winter's come and gone a little bird told me so Hello and welcome to the How I Healed podcast. I am joined today by my co-host Mary Lou Singleton, who is a family nurse practitioner, herbalist, and apprentice-trained home birth midwife. She has been caring for the health of New Mexican families for over 25 years. Mary Lou believes all healthcare modalities, from allopathic medicine to energy work and everything in between, have healing potential. That healing is always an individual journey to be supported by community, and that when it comes to healing, effectiveness is the measure of the truth. She is a critic of the pharmaceutical industry and the mainstream medical industry, which promotes drug dependence and chronic disease maintenance rather than healing. She believes healing is always possible and co-created the How I Healed podcast to share stories of healing, hope, and recovery. Thanks, Jocelyn. I'm Mary Lou, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Jocelyn McDonald, who is an artist and storyteller. She is enlivened by the infinite potential of humans to heal and helps others walk this path through her art and music. Her healing practice focuses on making and finding meaning out of the crises and major choice points of our lives. She offers one-on-one support through coaching and archetypical astrology and tarot. She specializes in assisting with psychedelic integration and pharmaceutical cessation. Welcome back to How I Healed podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jocelyn McDonald, and I'm here with my other co-host, Mary Lou Singleton. And I got to say, I am just so blessed by the reactions that we've gotten to our podcast so far. I want to open up today's show with just a little bit of gratitude for everybody who has been downloading or streaming on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and our Substack. We've been getting some great feedback. Friend of the podcast, Rebecca Casanto says, this is such an amazing podcast. Thanks to both of you amazing women. I listened while in the kitchen making tortillas and I cried so much at the end. Both of your words on birth and death were so powerful and so touching for me. Keep this up. I think this is very much needed medicine. Ah, it felt so good to receive that. Thank you so much, Rebecca. And also from my beloved friend, Casey, she said, episode two was a work of art. Wow. What, what a blessing to receive. Cause I did go pretty vulnerable on that episode. (laughs) Pretty, pretty personal. So that was lovely to receive. Thanks to everyone who's been sending in their messages of support. And I just want to encourage you, if you like our podcast to get in touch with us, in the comments, in the comments on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, you can also reach us on Substack, howihealed.substack.com, and our Gmail, howihealedpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to send in your feedback or you want to be a guest on our podcast, if you have a story of healing of your own that you'd like to share, I also want to, yeah, encourage everybody to subscribe to us on Substack so you can stay abreast of all of the latest episodes. At this point, we are trying to release a new episode every week. And if we have supporters, then we will will probably keep that pace up. 
So, you know, your support really means a lot to us and it definitely inspires us to keep going. And with that said, Mary Lou, tell us about our guest. Thanks, Jocelyn. I'm so excited to be here with Tanya, Thank my in-person, real-life community member and friend. Tanya McBride is a native New Mexican with familial roots that run deep into New Mexican history. Her mother was born and raised in Mora, and her father was born and raised in Grants. Tanya has lived most of her life in Albuquerque, has seen it grow over her 60-plus years here, and still finds it fits her life. She has found her niche of joy, purpose, and community here. Tanya lives alone in the center of the city with a house full of plants and once in a while, the mouse that needs to get out of the cold. <laughs> she works in the mental health field as a clinical therapist and supervisor of case managers and loves the challenges this work presents on a regular basis. She worked on the front lines of the mental health system as a clinical social worker on an inpatient psychiatric unit for over 15 years. Tanya is an avid traveler, skier, hiker, camper, and yogini. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for everything you do for the community oh. and especially for women. Oh, mm, yeah. so true. Absolutely yes. true. Tanya, you're our first guest. Wow, that's exciting. <laughs> it's so exciting. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It's really good yeah. to be here. Mm -hmm. so, Tanya, um, I just think you have such an inspiring presence and you're such a, a person of medicine in the community and we would love to hear hear your story of healing so where do I start with this because it feels like when I was in the womb even I was bringing you know some energy into myself picking up some things from my mother um, some of her own anxiety that she was experiencing with my father and you know, it even goes back further into my lineage. And so I feel like when I was born, you know, I, I chose this place in, in my life to do some some pretty heavy work. And it feels like that's what I've been doing. And it's it's an ongoing process. And I just, you know, want to keep unfolding with that. Mm -hmm. So you were born with some heaviness and needing for healing and how did how did things go from there from your birth through your childhood right so um so my father was in uh, Vietnam and when mm -hmm. he came back I was like three years old and I just remember a lot of fighting in my family my my mother and father used to argue and they would break things and he drank a lot and he was an emergency room doctor so when I was 17, he had a heart attack and he passed away and he was 44 years old. And I was already kind of getting into some rebellious acts, doing some drugs and things like that. And so when he passed away, somehow I really deeply internalized that as it being like my fault for some reason. I, in, in my 17-year-old brain, I felt like it was because something I did. And uh, I didn't really, this wasn't really a, a conscious process, but I, I kind of, you know, felt like I started punishing myself for that. And I got into hard drugs and um, that went on for about seven years and it got really just crazy. You know, it just got really, really crazy. I was hanging around 
with some really tough people with some, uh, you know, like guys that had been in this uh, Santa Fe riots. And I was using, you know, just like some hard spooky substances. <laughs> spooky. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it was just really, I, I was having a hard time getting out of that. Uh, although at some point I realized, you know, I didn't want to live like that and I wanted to get out of it. And it um, took me from moving from Albuquerque to California. And I got married to a man named Mark that we had been in, in a relationship about a year. I kind of cleaned up for a while and realized that I wanted to go to school. So I came back and moved back to Albuquerque and started my education at the age of 25 you know, I kind of cleaned up, but then in, in a way, I didn't really address the deeper roots of the problem. I didn't really address the, the traumas that I had carried with me and that I had experienced as a child. I just felt like the problem was the drugs. And if I cleaned up on that, I was going to be fine. I didn't realize that it took much more than that to heal and so I was still struggling with various things. And so I relapsed again after, after a while I relapsed and went back into another dark phase to where I felt like if I would have continued that, I wouldn't be sitting here with, with you ladies, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I got clean for the second time, I realized that I needed to do some heavy work on myself and start like really addressing, you know, all the damage I had done to my body as well as the the deeper rooted problems that were you know still embedded in my in my body so this started in a really destructive way right after your father died was, yeah was it really soon after that or did it come it was pretty much right after that i remember i was on acid when i found out oh, and wow. then it's like i just kept going down this dark path and um so it started with more of like rebellious drug use and then it became like, this is how I cope with the unending grief inside me. I, th I think that's how it shifted. Yeah, I was a teenager. I was like trying to find my place in the world and trying mm -hmm. to fit in. And it was just, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But then when he passed away, it was like, I just went into this, like this dark hole. And that lasted for years. And that, you know, it was really hard to pull myself out of that. And it felt like the second time that I did, uh, that my body was just really damaged. Like my nervous system was totally shot and I could hardly even speak. Mm. And I had panic attacks and my, you know, my body was malnourished and all of these different things together that it just, you know, it took me some time and some patience to start, you know, really healing myself. And I, I believe I started with the physical body. So I started nourishing myself with, you know, with foods and, um, you know, home cooked foods. I moved back with my mom and that, you know, loving relationship really helped me a lot. How old were you at that point? So actually I was 40 oh, at that time. Wow. So that was like in 2002. So all the way from the time I was 17 till I was 40, it wasn't all hard drug use. There was that time um, that I, you know, kind of had this respite and I went to college and I got a degree and I got into law school 
And then in law school, that's when I had the relapse and went back into another dark period. Hmm. So it was cycling from periods of sobriety and periods of heavy medicating. Is that how you would describe it? It was, although that period, I wouldn't really necessarily call it sobriety because I Mm. wasn't really addressing the deeper problem. I was just still kind of just sort of ignoring all of the, the deeper work that I really needed to do. And so the second time, you know, I just like got full on into the healing process in so many different ways. Tell us about what ways, like what was mm-hmm. your recovery process? So my recovery process um, started off, I think, with just like nourishing myself, my body with good food. And um, like I said, being with my mom a lot and I just took some time off, I would go every day up to the mountains, I had this little trail that I would hike. And I would go up and it it lasted for a whole year where I would go up every morning and I would pray, I would take tobacco, and I would take food for the birds, and I would take an apple to give to the animals. And I would leave everything there, I would sit on a rock and I would pray and just really connect with nature. You know, you telling the story of these daily walks and communing with the birds and creatures on the top of the mountain, it sounds so idyllic, even though I know you were probably in the throes of so much grief and so much processing. So even if you're not at the height of grief on on all the days at other days, just to keep yourself going, there's it's it's work. Right. And I, I wonder if in hindsight, you look back at this time with a great deal of sweetness or with a sense of how much work you were doing, because it sounds so sweet. It does sound sweet. And it was sweet in many ways. And it was actually very beautiful because I wasn't doing that destructive stuff to myself. And that was just really magical. So everything really became very magical, but it was really hard. I mean, I didn't know how to socialize. I just uh, like, I started going to 12 step meetings and it seemed like they were calling on me to speak all the time and I could not speak. And sometimes I would just like say like, I I just can't, I can't, I can't speak, but I made a deal with myself that I would never like uh, pass, you know, I wouldn't, Mm. I wouldn't just say, no, I can't, I would try. Mm. And it really helped me to heal, to learn how to like express myself and, you know, start processing some of the stuff that I needed to process. And there was so much, and I still feel like there's a lot that I'm still processing, but not, you know, it just like uh, getting really patient with the process was super important. Because there was multiple times where I would feel like this is too much for me to handle. I need to get on some medication, right? Some like pharmaceuticals or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I would make an appointment with a provider to ask for some medication. And then it would be like out for several months, the appointment. And by the time the appointment came, I would be like, well, I'm just going to keep doing this because Mm -hmm. I felt like something was slowly starting to shift with the praying and with the meditating and with the meetings. And with, um, I found yoga Mm -hmm. and yoga early on, it was like my body just like totally responded to that. And I remember because like when I was using, I would look at some yoga books and I would try to do some some of the postures. And I could tell even when I was using 
that the postures were so healing for me and it awakened something deep inside of me that was that was really needed to be healed so mm. early on in my recovery i found yoga mm. i'm really curious to go back in time for a bit and revisit what you said about feeling responsible for your father's death and wondering if you can speak about that a little bit more yeah, sure. So um, I feel like because I was in this uh, starting to be rebellious and um, he was trying to, you know, assist me in that and he was drinking and he was talking to me like, hey, you know, um, your brother, you know, told me that you were, you know, drinking at a party last night. And so he was trying to be a father and he was trying to sort of guide me out of the craziness that I was kind of starting to you know, to, um, to do. And so, um, when he passed away when I was 17 and he was 44 and I was like, oh, that, you know, that's because of what I was doing. And I felt that first death of, uh, a person's, um, closest member to their family. It felt like my virginity of life had been mm -hmm. taken away because I felt like, this would never happen to me, right? This this wouldn't happen to me. I don't know why we think that something like that couldn't happen to us, but the shock of it happening and then me being sort of already in the throes of rebellious behavior, I internalized it. And I remember just being so down on myself that I would walk around the city, you know, just like dirty and just kind of lost. And people would drive by people that knew me would see me and they would be embarrassed because I or I felt like that's what was happening I don't know if they really were but they would be like look at her like walking around the streets like that and I didn't care you know and so then I got mixed up with all those really um you know I got into this relationship that lasted for five years with this this absolutely crazy guy and I was you know like 18 he was like in his you know, he was much older than me and he was, you know, making the drugs and it was back in a time where they were really strong. I don't know what they are, are now. It's, you know, but it was like that. So it does give me the shivers because it's a pretty like, um, you know, evil substance. Mm -hmm. What was he making? He was making meth. Oh, wow. He was make cooking meth. Wow. So you're this, this grieving child and young adult and yeah and really went into the underworld where there were some shady to say the least characters absolutely and I remember being very naive like I was thinking people were good you know mm -hmm. like all of these people that were using were like weren't weren't gonna hurt me and they were they were good people and um I I really feel like it was tearing up my mother because oh. she was witnessing this whole thing and um, you know, trying, trying to, you know, pull me out of that. And I was just like, just, I just couldn't hear any, anything else until it was time, you know? And I think when it was time is when my body and my, like, w just couldn't do it anymore. And I had been trying to stop doing that. And it was just like, it, I think it was going to take my life. And I, I don't think spirit wanted that because I really feel like, I had a bigger purpose. Mm -hmm. you know, I had a much bigger purpose. And I feel like now after these years of working on that, that I have been gifted with um, uh, cleansing my lineage 
of these, you know, these patterns mm. of, of substance abuse and alcoholism and pushing down all the, you know, all the darkness and not expressing all the beauty because I grew up in a, in a household where people didn't, we didn't say, I love you really. Mm. It was very odd when I remember seeing my parents kiss and I thought that's the strangest thing ever because like I've never would see them expressing affection for each other because like they were um, always like arguing and and you know then they they ended up getting a divorce when I was like in maybe seventh grade or something but they they were you know like I have no hard feelings at all about any of it no shame mm-hmm. no regrets um, but. Um, it does feel like I did a lot of um, karmic work in, mm-hmm. in lifetime as Tanya. Mm-hmm. When it came time to get clean and, and start recovering, did you, I know there are different paths to that. And some people get there through an intervention of their community. Other people describe hitting rock bottom and really coming close to death or losing everything. And other people describe a descent of grace that just it's today's the day. Do you, how did that work for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did feel like there was, um, it was definitely an act of spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't something that I said, oh, it's time to, it's time to get clean. You're just going to have to stop. It wasn't anything mental mm-hmm. that I decided because, it, you know, I had thought about it and tried so many times, but it definitely felt like spirit kind of got me you know, and just took me and put me at my mom's house and uh, led me to the right people and gave me this like sense of magic. It really seriously only took me like a couple of days before I could feel a shift and I could feel the magic entering me. Like the first Mm -hmm. home-cooked meal that my mom fed me after, you know, when I was coming through this process, it was like, I could tell it really, really healed me on a cellular level. So I started eating all these nutrient dense foods and all these like really vibrant foods and being with my mom was, it was beautiful. Well, yeah, really- it, it, it was really hard because like, I, I really felt like I could hardly speak or walk or anything like that. And the social pieces were, you know, it, 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 it took a lot of work. Yeah. I'm really curious about your shift into being open to receive the medicine your mother was able to offer you because at first you described in the beginning of your addiction pattern that you, your mother was trying to reach you and you were preferring the company of these people that you were so convinced were maybe offering you a a connection without judgment or what was it, what was it that was standing in the way of you receiving your mom's medicine earlier on when you were instead surrounding yourself with people who you thought were good, but actually were pretty spooky characters? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Because again, I think it goes back to spirit. And I wasn't ready before. And I was still wanting to, um, I still felt like I was in the throes of that karmic work. And that I was doing and maybe it just wasn't time. And then later it felt like spirit said, okay, now it's time mm-hmm. uh, because you, you, otherwise you're, you're, you're not going to make it and you have a, a bigger purpose. So um, then when I started like getting into recovery, it felt, I could feel the shift. I felt like the presence of spirit so strong 
within me and it just like kept me going you know it kept me going back to the mountain to walk it kept me going to a meeting it kept me eating the good food um it kept me I just totally didn't interact with those people anymore at all and you know I would see them places and I would I would just like cringe away from them Mm -hmm. and the really I mean like the 12-step model is not where I follow now it does it's it's not where I am with things but at the time, I think that was really super helpful because the the meeting that I went to, the women there were, were they just surrounded me with love and um, they would, um, you know, like just be so loving. And I found a woman that would help me go through the process and they were not perfect. You know, they were having their own struggles and the, that's the way we did it. We helped each other. And I always felt like an outsider in humanity, you know, that I wasn't, didn't really have a place. And sometimes I still feel a little bit like that, but it's in a good way. You know, it's in a unique, it's a in a unique way. And you're the woman on the mountaintop. What's that? You're the woman on the mountaintop. I was, you know, I was going to the mountain. You can't, al- you can't always be in community if you're the woman on the mountaintop. Yeah. So the the community really started like healing me too, you know? And so, yeah, the, the process, it was amazing. I had pretty severe um, body damage. I had um, a, a tested early on that I had a fairly, well, it seemed like a fairly advanced uh, hepatitis C, mm. which was you know, not surprising to me. And um, the treatment at that time was interferon. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I got to do this. You know, I got to do this because like, you know, uh, uh, people were saying, you you just have to heal. You have to do it. And I started like the process, you know, going to the hospital and talking to them and getting prepared to do it. And there was something that was deep inside of me that was like, you know, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. So I never did. I never did interfere on. And so in the other thing instead that I did was I started integrating that into my body and saying, you know, it's okay if I have this, you know, welcome this into my body, assimilate. And so I would learn how to coexist with the whatever, what, you know, um, I, I didn't feel like I was at war with my, with my body and that I needed mm-hmm. to remove it. So I just kept you know, doing the dandelion root and the milk thistle and the yoga and just trusting that my body was going to be okay. I, w- I want to kiss you right now. I love, I love your story. Your story is so good. And it's just, oh, it's so nourishing to hear. I, I want to return again to your mother and, you know, sure. don't answer this question if you don't want to, but I just, you know, when you were describing your um, conception and gestation as being, as as already bringing on the anxiety of your mother and your lineage, something, I imagine something had to shift for your mom when she welcomed you into your home, went to her home and began feeding you. I wonder if um, it was healing for her too, or what, or in what ways you saw the constellation in your family healing when, when she, when you were brought back into the maternal home to receive this incredible caretaking at your, at your point of, you know, spirit entering and saying like, you're done, you're done with this habit. You're done. (laughs) Absolutely. I feel like it was so healing for her too, because I think it was 
uh, she struggled. She worried. I mean, I was her daughter and she saw me on the streets and she didn't know if I was going to make it back alive. And I mean, she would see me at my worst because when I was out there, you know, stuck in, in some place or I was stuck in a motel or I was whatever. And I would call her, I'd say, mom, please pick me up. And she would pick me up and I couldn't talk. I just sat, you know, in shame and I would crawl into, you know, she, you know, into the bedroom and she would try to leave the door open so she could see me. And I was so ashamed that I would shut the door and she would keep opening it and I would shut it. But when all of that passed and I really did get into the healing process with myself, uh, I feel like we were healing together and because it felt like we both pulled through this karmic work together. Like she had this huge part and I think she was carrying a lot of karmic work and we felt it felt like we were working on this together. And so she passed away in 2007 and I had been clean four years when she passed away. And she told me, she's like, Tanya, I'm so glad you're better. And uh, I'm so lucky to have you. And she said things to me that she never said in her life, you know, but I, I really feel like we, like we did some great work together. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it was so healing for your mom as well. Yeah, it was. And I think of what what you were saying about being 17 and like so many children who go through a trauma, they it, we feel like it's our fault. Mm-hmm. But what I've also seen with the families of addicts is the mothers of addicts feel like it's their fault. And, yes, good and point, Mary Lou. I um, imagine the, the process your mother had to go through of, of releasing herself from that in order to be present and unconditioned. It sounds like she yeah. was really unconditionally loving to you when you needed that she was really always she was like my best ally in in my life and even in her uh, she's on the other side she's still my best ally because I can feel her like right on let's do this and I like go on a trip and I'm swimming in the ocean or something like that and I can feel her like you know she's she's just really celebrating celebrating that a lot and when we were doing this in the dark parts together, um, I think she must have, you know, had some times where she felt like, you know, me witnessing all that, the arguing with with my dad and um, that she was doing. I, I don't know how much of it she felt was her fault or internalized it, but I know it was a, a mixture of, um, of that. Um, and there was one time where she was like, you know, she just like, she wasn't going to do it anymore. She mm-hmm. took my picture off the wall. We had, she had mm-hmm. pictures of all of us and um, it, they were like in the hallway and I went and she had some dried flowers in, in the place where my picture used to be. And she wouldn't talk to me for, it wasn't a long time, but it was maybe a few months where mm-hmm. she just wouldn't, was, wasn't going to be there. And I'm grateful that she gave herself that because she needed to do that because she, I was just driving her crazy. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a proverb that goes, a mother is only as happy as her least happy child. Oh (laughs) yeah. I can see that (laughs) as as a mother, I'll I'll attest to that. So I'm so glad that you, um, your, your healing brought healing and peace to your mother as well. It sounds like it was very mutual. Oh, I'm so grateful that when she passed away, I, it, we were both in a very good place. And we both realized that we had come through that that work together. And, you know, we, we were in, in a beautiful place after that. Wonderful. 
do you think she felt that um that's spirit that descent of grace whenever it was whenever you were ready to really heal that she was able to open her home and feel that or do you think she was wary during that time uh it didn't feel it felt like she um trusted me again and it it felt like she believed it like it wasn't like the you know during the the time of using where I would kind of clean up for a few days and and try you know and then I would go back out or whatever and it would hurt her every time I feel like she saw something different and she felt it. Mm -hmm. So I think she, she, um, it didn't take long for her. And I think she appreciated my presence there because when um, I moved back, uh, I started back uh, in school to get my master's in counseling. Uh, every morning she would we would drink coffee together and we would talk and she was married to my stepfather and so she would talk to me a lot about the problems that she was experiencing and her work stuff and everything so we were we became really close during um that time and it that was a super special time and I, I I'm so glad that I got to be with her and I think a lot of um people are like I don't know if they feel you know like ashamed about moving back with their parents when they're, you know, uh, an adult or whatever. And so I would affirm that is, that was a beautiful, special time for both of us and that it worked out really well. Yeah. It was so intimate. I think that the, uh, I'm really curious about this trajectory from lawyer to counselor. So, you know, you, you decided to go back to get your master's in counseling. What, even after knowing that you, had you at this point decided that the AA type of model wasn't the model that you wanted to work within? Like what, how did you decide that you wanted to go to counseling and how did you find your own way to be a counselor in the larger system of how counseling tends to work? Right. Yeah. So um, I never finished law school. I was in, I was in my sickness then, and I went mm-hmm. through years of it. And I just was like, really, it was, uh, you know, I just le- left that behind. And so when I got, um, I and I was in AA, and I was going to meetings um, daily or very frequently. And I was like, I need to figure out what I'm going to do next. You know, what I'm going to do with my life. And I had, you know, my undergraduate, and I really felt like even though I was pretty whacked out still uh, in my nervous system and in my confidence level, I felt like that was the path. And um, there were, there was so many times where, when, you know, I, I doubted that path and I was like, Oh, this, this is crazy. Why, you know, what, what are you doing? But then I just kept doing it. And I realized that at some point I would find a niche and that's pretty much what happened. Anyway, the major hoops of that, getting into into that were, you know, I I feel like I'm in a really confident place with my career or whatever. And so I feel like that I chose the right, the right path or that this is where I am and it seems to be fine. I'm also really curious because you said that in the dark times when you were, finally processing all that lay beneath the addiction, you often thought, well, I'll go to a provider and I'll get, I assume anti-anxieties or antidepressants, you didn't specify, but some kind of pharmaceutical support. And so by the time that you were in counseling though, you had never really engaged with that pharmaceutical model. So 
you kind of knew as you were entering your practice that that wasn't the model that you wanted to offer others? Um, so yeah, you know, like my, um, I don't know what's right for anybody else, but I, mm-hmm. I felt like that was not, it just didn't, didn't, um, end up happening for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, were, I think I had like maybe three different appointments and they would, they would be like far out. Like they wouldn't have an opening for like three months and I would just keep doing yoga and I'd keep mm-hmm. sharing and I'd keep, you know, whatever I was doing. And then when it would come up to the time to um, have the appointment, I would cancel it or whatever. And so maybe that was another thing of spirit was just like, didn't want that path for me or didn't, you know, and not saying that there's anything, you know, inherently wrong with that because I work in the field and I worked at the psych hospital for um, like 14 years. And that's the main thing they give people when they come into the psych hospital is uh, to, what what's the medication you know that that's going to help this this person or whatever and I kept a neutral attitude with it Uh, I I didn't you know um, affirm that they should be taking it and I didn't affirm that they shouldn't be taking it I would just ask them questions like do do you think it helps you is that uh, is that working and how do you think it it's it's maybe making things better for you or something like that. And I really loved that population. I really loved being around people when they were at their very, you know, worst or their their low point where they get brought in involuntarily or brought in, you know, because they're suicidal or tried to commit suicide, whatever it is. And I would just sit with them and I was fascinated by their stories and I could see myself in them. And a lot of them were very resistant and against being medicated. And I would, you know, I I would not say stuff like, oh, but you need to take that to, you know, or some, I would just say, I understand, I really get it, you know? And mm-hmm. so um, I, I just really carry the energy of like, you know, do the other things. I mean, I don't think I'm in a place to really say, but I feel like um, being in the field and a lot of the clients I still work with, I'm not in the psych hospital now, I'm working at an agency. It's an outpatient agency where, you know, like I I see people having side effects and things like that. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know, like good sleep and good food and meditation and moving the body Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, herbs and Um, all of these things I think are so they're they're so rich and and full for for us to um to use so um so yeah I don't think it was my path to to be on pharmaceuticals for me it it, it just wasn't mm-hmm. I um I loved what you said about the women of the 12-step community surrounding mm-hmm. you and I am a fan of the 12 step model. And Mm -hmm. I I think Mm -hmm. I'm also a fan of people graduating from that as well. Um, And I'll throw in that, you know, one of the reasons I love the 12 step model so much is because as someone who resonates with anarchy, I I feel like that model is the only example of functional anarchy that I know of in this world. Uh (laughs) And it's Uh beautiful. It is. Uh It's beautiful. It's non, it's decentralized. It's non-hierarchical. There's open door policy. No one owns it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, um, 
it's just so beautiful that it's it is human beings walking this path together and supporting each Absolutely. other. Absolutely, I think that's totally the beauty of it is that it works because one person helps another person and they help each other, you know, and, and that's where the magic really is, um, is one, you know, sick person helping another and they just keep making each other a, a stronger day by day, you know, right. and there's no big agenda, no big plans. Like, you know, it, it's just this one day, this yes. is what we're doing and you can come back, you know, if you don't, if you want to leave and come back or whatever, but um, it, it I I went for like 14 years and I really believe that it saved my life on, on many levels, you know, and the community of it, like I didn't have community. I was so, so alone, you know, and I felt so, you know, like, I don't know, maybe like just a non-human or something. And it really helped to, um, you know, to the connection with people. One. I think that you embody that fellowship in, in your life and in our community here where we live. And I'm almost thinking to myself, like you, you um, gather women together and it is this, like, I'm, you know, I'm Mary Lou and I'm in recovery from the third dimension. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's beautiful to be, especially around women for me, you know, like, um, and I love the brothers and I, I really feel like we're bringing them with us in our evolutionary process, you know, and loving them through it. And we, you know, have drumming circles and, um, you know, moon circles with the women for the new moon and the, and the full moon. And just like really being, you know, authentic and just being feeling supported and feeling um, that we can really share uh, from our hearts and, and just love each other. You know, that is um, that's so good. I think we need that yeah. on a very deep level. I found myself with this big Cheshire cat grin on my face when you were talking about how much you love the community of people who are in mental health crises and at their, you know, in, in a, in a state of suicidality and, and stuff. And I, it's not because I think that's funny or something, but I wanted to point it out because I, I find that too. I find this relational compatibility with people who are in crisis where I, I can relate to it. And I feel like my medicine is available at the surface and I'm just so ready to give it. And I see in you this Chiron archetype of using your wounding to heal others. Yeah. It just seems so alive when you were telling that story of being in the psych ward. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful time. And I really feel like on some level, they sensed that I got it, you know, they sensed that I was, um, you know, an ally and, that I wasn't judging or, you know, that I was, you know, I could, I could tell. And I just really felt like that was beautiful to um, experience that, that trust and that support that, you know, I was sharing with them. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, you know, it's, we're here at the, the eve of Dia de los Muertos and it's the mm -hmm. time of really honoring the ancestors. What is your relationship with your dad's spirit? I'm so glad you asked. I was going to ask that too, Mary Lou. <laughs> That's a beautiful question. It just seems like so long ago um, that he's like sort of buried back in there. What used to kind of like come up for me was the parts of myself that I didn't understand. Like, why do I keep doing this? And I felt like on some level it was related to my dad and, um, I just feel like he was a super intelligent and super sensitive person and that um it was you know it was just like a tragic 
occurrence that he left this planet so early. And I think that's what affected me is to uh, live um, a large por portion of my life without, without a father figure. And he comes into my dreams periodically, but not like my mom. She's mm. there almost every night. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like he gave me a lot of beautiful qualities and assets and I can feel him in me too. Mm -hmm. I don't have like resentments or anything. Uh, I, I view both of my parents as being just human beings that were doing the best that they could. And they um, did a wonderful job and they, you know, emphasized certain things that they thought were important and they, you know, they did, a, they had a hard time themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it was unconscious because like my dad didn't, he drank a lot, but he never, I don't ever, ever remember him really expressing that, you know? Well, you spoke a lot about healing your lineage and about your karma in this lifetime. And so I wonder if you could speak to that in greater depth. Sure. So I feel like when I was a child and throughout my family structure that I was kind of the black sheep mm -hmm. in, you know, the proverbial black sheep that empathically took on a lot of the negativity of the family, the, that people um, didn't know what to do with energetically. I feel like somehow it was like siphoned my way or I energetically attracted that somehow and so it feels like rather than anybody acknowledging it, like, hey, this is going on in our family, because I don't think anybody really understood it or knew it. So I took it on and I expressed it like it worked. You know, I uh, that's why I was doing these things, partly is because I was expressing it out and they were like, see, Tanya, it's because you are. um look what you're doing. And so I got to take a lot of that on that, you know, they, they kind of like Tanya's like, she's screwing up everything or whatever. And it, what I was really doing, it feels like it gave me a, a larger purpose to all of this was that, you know, now that I look back on all of that and I processed through that, that it was cleansing of, uh, you know, not just our family unit, but of the lineage, because if you, you know, you go back and that kind of those patterns stay within themselves mm -hmm. and they um, need to be expressed through some bank or somebody. And I feel like they were expressed and uh, in a large part healed, you know, through, through me. And so I, I haven't had, I, I mean, I don't have children. Uh, it feels like that is the, is the process that happened. Yeah, I really hear that, you know, as you're describing yourself as the black sheep who energetically siphoned so much that was unconscious through the experience of you having to confront so much that was lying beneath the surface, because early on in, in this conversation, you had said that it wasn't enough to quit drinking because, or, or using, because there was a reason behind all of that, that was unaddressed by just stopping, like sobriety was not enough to heal. And so in a way, your addiction 
allowed all that was unconscious and unspoken in the rest of the family to be brought to the surface, witnessed, processed, and integrated now as a person who, you know, is, is out here healing others of, you know, similar patterning. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the way that um, I feel for, mm-hmm. for what it is. And I'm not sure that's how my siblings necessarily see it. I think mm-hmm. um, I have um, regained a place of integrity with myself. And so however they view it is, is okay, you know, um, and, but I do feel like uh, there's a respect that I feel coming from my family and uh, an integrity that I feel coming from that it starts within myself and it expresses itself outward. Yeah. So that, that, that's, um, that's where it goes. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there were angels and intercessions of however we want to describe um, any kind of spirit help that protected you during the times you were in the darkest parts of of this? I do. I I really do. I guess the view that I have, I'm I'm not sure um, how to exactly word this or if it's, if it really is the truth, but for me, it feels like there is a certain plan and it was, you know, there were times where, you know, I had a gun pulled on me or I felt like I was, you know, I could have overdosed or uh, a zillion different things could have happened. Um, and they didn't. And uh, so I feel like maybe that it just was, wasn't in the plan, you know, and I don't know what the plan is. That's the great mystery of life. I have no idea uh, what it is. And I had a session recently where a, a shaman that I was talking to said, well, you know, like it is a mystery, but you you can have a, a, a say-so, you can have a part. And I'm not really sure, you know, I've developed over time this um, trust in, in the process and this trust in the universe. So I pray every day, but I don't really pray for anything. I just give thanks and pray for, you know, like, thank you for your presence and for your guidance and for the love and strength and the beauty of life. And I don't ask for, oh, let's make this work out like this, or can I have things this way? Although that's, that's a beautiful thing, because I think it would probably be granted, (laughs) but I don't want to interfere with the magic too much, you know, because uh, maybe I just don't know oh, what is the best thing, you know? Cause I think sometimes we do have to be careful what we ask for because it w- is most likely going to be granted and it might be granted in a way that we didn't expect. So I'm just like, whatever magic is is meant for me. And if it's if that's not supposed to work out, that's okay. Like maybe I'm making some plans to travel and I'm like, well, we'll see what happens because if I'm supposed to, if this is supposed to happen, then it will. But if it's not, you know, then it it, it won't. Mm-hmm. So I just want to keep trusting the universe and doing my part here by uh, aligning myself with the purpose the best I can and trying not to create these barriers and trying to minimize my, um, you know, ego and the, the things that might corrupt that process. I want to um, just kind of get out of the way and do the good things for for myself and you know sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't I love that prayer I think I'm gonna give that a try stop asking for so many specifics like where's where's my family (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm hoping to receive whatever magic. Yeah, well, has to like, offer me. I'm just grateful, but it is pretty tempting, you know, to say, well, let's make things work out this. Oh, can I, I, I'm trying to remove these words from my vocabulary, like hope. Like, I hope this Ooh. happens or I want that to happen or like, I don't know that that's what works for me. I don't think it, you know, like I, I love when people have the courage and the bravery to pray for certain things. Mm. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't, I, I don't have that courage. <laughs> I'm like, the universe is going to get pissed off. If I ask for something, if I want it to, uh, to plan for something to be a certain way, she might just do whatever she wants. Mm. No, I, that's really, that's really landing for me. I think that if I were to actually be honest with myself, you know, to, to use the same example, when I'm sitting here praying for, you know, where's my baby in the, uh, the intensity of such a prayer, if that were actually to be granted, am I ready for it? No. <laughs> I think that's where the the resistance comes in. So I love this, this, yeah, this availability of like, just whatever magic is for me is coming my way. And I don't have to get specific. I love what you said, like the courage to to pray for something specific. It really does require a great deal of courage because you will, you might get it. Yeah. You probably will. will. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and and there's so many uh, fairy tales and, and old stories that, that warn about that, right. Of the, Mm -hmm gone wrong right exactly yeah. yeah the the genie bottle or i don't know right whatever. the Midas the, touch, like, the monkey's the uh-huh. <gasps> right mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a, quite a a magical process to be in a human body you know and uh, now it feels like my skin is like you know it feels like um, i love my body and you know like it feels natural and there were times where like, literally, I didn't know if I'm supposed to swing my arms when I walk. Mm. Like I would think, oh, are, am I supposed to do this? Or <laughs> it just felt so odd. Yeah. Sometimes it's natural. And sometimes you're like, what is this three-dimensional bullshit? What, what is this right. body thing? <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's such a beautiful story. So I, I want to just testify that you know, I've known you for, for quite a while. And it seems to me as though you are just getting healthier and healthier. <laughs> every, I feel like you're one of the people where every time I see you, you look younger, you seem more vibrant. So you're still healing. This is, you know, yes. you're still embodying that very much. Oh, thank you. Um, I mean, like, I'm just embracing the aging process and being <laughs> the crone and whatever, like, um, you are glowing with vitality. It's so and- true. Oh, thank you. Well, sometimes I'll, I'll look and I'll be like, oh, this is getting spooky. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting really weird, but just uh, what, you know, you, you, I have to embrace it because I mean, it's like, I don't have to, but it, you know, it, it, it just seems to make more sense than trying to resist it. Mm-hmm. Well, know? like you said before, being embodied is a magical process. Mm-hmm. There's so many miracles every day to experience in this physical body. So yeah, why would you be in resistance? Mm. That doesn't sound fun. Right. Well, it would be futile, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, what a great story. Do you, um, I hear what you're saying, staying in that place of neutrality. And I know, I'm sure, given the world we live in and the times we live in, 
many people listening um, are either struggling with addiction or have loved ones who are struggling with addiction or both. Mm -hmm. Is there any word medicine you would have to offer people who are still in, in that? Um, well, that's kind of, um, that's a hard one because for me, it was like, it seemed like it was a, a, a grace, but I would say start with one day and don't make any rules. I I don't like to make rules on myself. If I want to, you know, uh, go out and do anything, I'm going to say, go for it. I just want to love myself enough and really love the good feeling enough and trust the process enough that I won't feel like doing that. And so just like a little respite is, is a good magical place to start because that just allows in some of that, even just a tiny bit of healing is so much more powerful than a lot of sickness. So it doesn't really take very much. Mm. It takes, you know, maybe just a, a day, a few days, and then see how you feel the next day and see about committing to seeing how that goes. And I have some clients that are like, they're in the grips of addiction and I don't make it a big deal. And I just ask them like, you know, how to, uh, how about just today? And how does, how does that feel? And they'll be like, well, I drank last night or I, whatever. And I'll be like, well, that's okay. Like, um, you know, just, just maybe, um, see, give, give yourself a little, a little bit of self-love, you know, and finding some beauty in the simple things like making a meal or taking a walk or just the beauty of a good night's sleep. Um, and those very simple things, I think, nourish us on a very deep level. Just have, you know, some good clean water, make some tea, have some, you know, make some potatoes or something just very simple and how really good that feels, even just to be in the process of doing that and just cutting the things up and putting the seasonings and stirring it and blessing it into your body. And, and those things will start taking precedence over the destructive things. Love that. I love what you said. A little bit of healing is so much more powerful than a whole lot of sickness. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just reminded of a dear friend of mine who went through an experience of withdrawal in the past year from pharmaceutical antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. Um, and one of the hardest things for her was to offer herself food. And I just imagine you, you know, making your potatoes and praying them into a nourishing existence to enter you in, you know, just the simplicity of potatoes and spices and how when you are in the dark night of the soul, that can be enough of a challenge to just offer yourself the potatoes and the spices. And mm -hmm. so like, just as you said, the, that, that little bit of healing is, yeah, is available to you in these small moments. If you can find the presence of mind to, to focus on the potatoes and the spices, I think that is very, very difficult for a lot of people who are in the throes of it. I hope that that I hope that is received. Yeah, I definitely agree that the the very simple things, even just like the very, very most primal aspects of being a human is, mm -hmm. you know, taking in a breath and, mm -hmm. you know, getting some rest or, you know, nourishing your body in some simple way, um, even just a, a little walk or a little anything 
and just really enjoying that because it's it's giving yourself some love and um it's it's not doing it's the opposite of what you may have been doing is something harmful and something against spirit you know because i feel like spirit wants us to to you know be in alignment and wants us to you know take care of ourselves and when we start doing that we like it seems like we just get you know help Mm -hmm. and i and i think too like as i'm thinking about it i'm like remembering one of the one of the difficulties that my friend was having in the darkest days of this withdrawal experience was for her this feeling that it wasn't enough to focus on the potatoes. Like she would be hard on herself that she hadn't done anything in square scare quotes. Like, oh, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be proud of myself for feeding myself. I should, I should go out and work harder and accomplish something. And the what you're offering is this little act of self-love is enough work to be proud of and you you can give yourself grace that showing up for yourself in these small ways is the love that you deserve and that is it's not you don't have to do more than that that's enough for today right absolutely and I feel like sometimes we are hard on ourselves and we're critics and there's the the you know the thoughts that that go or you know, the feelings that are attached to the shame or whatever. And that, you know, that starts to heal too. It it really does. In changing the the way that you talk to yourself, that I talk to myself in, in my head, you know, I look in the mirror and I just say beautiful things, you know, and um, that just, it, it, it's been really helpful to pull myself out of that, that negative spiral hmm. Mirror magic is very powerful. I, d- I did the same just looking at myself in the mirror and saying beautiful things about how much I love myself, I think was one of the mo- more subtle but critical elements of my healing journey. Yeah, absolutely. I want to how do we feel? Are we complete? Work that you're doing here with this podcast and, you know, knowing Mary Lou and what she gives to the community and all the beautiful magic that you spread. Courageous voice out Mm. there. It's so important for for people to be able to, you know, hear that and know that it's not all a certain way, you know, that that there's some warriors out, out here that you know integrity is really really a beautiful thing to witness it's so true thank you for sharing your story oh thank you for being with us tanya it was it was my pleasure it's my honor so thanks to all our listeners as we wrap up another episode of how i healed podcast i just want to remind everyone to like share and subscribe it really supports our podcast please let your friends know about us. And if you have a story of healing outside of the traditional medical paradigm, please get in touch with us at howihealedpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on any of our social media channels and you will find those in the show notes.